0: Blog talk radio. okay well welcome to the environmental justice report now one of the things I want to say is that block talk radio is having a little issue right now because I see on this studio um, panel that I have actually 20 seconds till episode okay so we've we've started okay so blog talk radio they're They're having a few technical difficulties, so I'll start over. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host and producer, Janine Molloff. This week, it's been a crazy week, people, I'll tell you. Uh, If you saw the advert, it said EJR with Janine Molloff, how Spire is attempting to extort dollars over a pipeline. And again, this is my theory, all right? don't want to be accused of slandering or libeling or defaming, but it's my theory, my opinion. So this week, I'm repeating part of a show that ran this past Sunday on our Sunday sh- uh, news show, Progressive News Network. Now, the show deals with how Spire, who I believe is either the largest or one of the largest natural gas suppliers, has been causing uh, an enormous panic in St. Louis, and that's where St. Louis, where the, the headquarters for Spire is actually located. And this is over a 65-mile stretch of pipeline. And this is referred to as the STL or St. Louis Pipeline. Recently, it had its certificate yanked by a, a, a court filing in a federal court in DC. And it was over claims that the FERC assessment, in other words, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission assessment, and their certification was not in accordance with law, the natural gas law. So the Environmental Defense Fund, which I'll refer to as EDF, brought a lawsuit against Spire requesting that FERC do its job in accordance with the Natural Gas Act. So this all started uh, during the Trump administration. And as you know, let's face facts. The Trump administration, again, in my opinion, took a lot of shortcuts when it came to justice. So now we're dealing with the fallout of yet another uh, incompetent dealing with the previous Trump administration. So Spire's response to their loss in federal court was to send a, an email to its customers. And it was seriously th- thinly veiled, a thinly veiled threat. Uh, and they used local media really as propagandists, And they claimed that without this 65-mile pipeline, being in full uh, operation, there will be power outages as early as December 13th. Why December 13th? Because right now Spire has a temporary permit, but it runs out December 13th. And so that email, which I'm going to read later in the show, is basically saying there could be power outages, folks. Now, what Spire is claiming in an email is not totally true. It's a you know, when I said earlier SPIRE is lying, it's a lie of omission. They left stuff out. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission can extend the temporary permit and probably will. Um, the Environmental Defense Fund just wants to make sure that SPIRE isn't allowed to profit from their, Ill- their previously, previous illegal moves. So during this investigation, I read, I actually found and read from the actual court document. I didn't read the entire thing, but I read enough. And I found out that the Spire, in the, during the course of all this, isolated St. Louis from any other pipelines, rendering us totally dependent on this single pipeline. Spire then retired in air quotes, the other every single other pipeline. Let me re- reiterate that. Spire retired all the other pipelines which previously connected, St. Louis to heating gas. So the only connection is through the new STL pipeline. That's it. Now the Environmental Defense Fund is okay with another temporary permit, extending the operation of the STL pipeline through the entire winter season. They just don't want Spire to profit from their illegal actions. Now, it gets deeper though, folks. While investigating this story, you know, as any reporter would do, I made a couple of calls to Spire's public affairs director, who's been listed as their spokesman, and it's a man named Jason Merrill. And I sent him an email with my question. He has not responded. Uh, I attempted to call their CEO, a woman named Suzanne Sitherwood. Again, no response. I must have stepped on some politically powerful toes because this past Monday, I was, again, in air quotes, visited by three detectives from the intelligence unit of the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. And no, I'm not kidding. I wish I was. This was obviously an intimidation tactic. The detectives claimed that Spire filed a complaint against me for making a phone call. But there's more to that story. So let's move on. Let's first talk about that the irony of this entire situation. Okay. We live in a truly insane time. I have to take a drink of water here. Um, we live in an era where it goes beyond white Christian male privilege. It really that that's that's the lower level of privilege. We live in an era of unbridled wealth privilege, which basically makes a mockery of justice itself. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Washington, D.C. to see uh, Congressman Paul Gosar, who has been affiliated with neo-Nazis, send a tweet, which was some sort of anime, which showed him, uh, it was like an anime snuff film, where it showed him, his anime character, and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Lauren Boebert basically taking turns murdering AOC. Now, so far nothing's happened to Gosar. A couple years ago when Trump was in office, same thing. Okay, uh, I remember going back to the actual campaign in 2016. Um, excuse me. <sighs> Another drink of water here, folks. My throat's not so great. Back in the campaign of 2016. When Bernie was still in the race, Bernie, Hillary, and Trump, Trump retweeted a vile cartoon of of Trump himself in a a, a Nazi SS uniform. Bernie was in a concentration camp uniform with a yellow star for a Jew, and he was sitting in a gas chamber, and and Trump was about to gleefully uh, flip the switch to turn on the, the poison gas. Now, Most people would interpret that as a threat. You can call it humor, but it's not funny. It's a threat. Nothing happened to Trump. Nothing has happened to Gosar yet. Um, More and more has come out about how Republicans have been urging violence, talking about succession. You know, they're fine with violence against, you know, people of color, religious minorities, uppity women, liberals, you name it. Very little happens to them. But, you know, and then we had the comedian, Kathy Griffin, who, in part of her comedy act, she held up, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like a paper mache head that looked like Trump, and it looked like it had been severed from the body. And it was a stupid, tasteless joke, but it certainly wasn't a threat, not to the same level as the other people, but yet Kathy Griffin was harassed and threatened by the FBI during the Trump administration. So, this is not equal administration of justice. Make no mistake about it. Now, Spire is a large corporation. They are also a partially uh, regulated monopoly. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. (coughs) That time of year. So, you know, Spire is, as I said before, I believe the largest producer of natural gas in the United States. And... If we have outages because of this, it's not just people with gas furnaces that could suffer. Um, I did a little more research, and what I found was Ameren is one of Spire's largest customers, and Ameren uh, produces electricity. So an outage like that could affect our electricity as well. So if you have a heat pump, you could be in jeopardy too. And keep in mind, this is this is really outrageous, but when I, all these things happen, GOSAR can threaten AOC, you name it. But when I make an open inquiry about the local natural gas suppliers' claim that massive outages will occur if they don't get to continue operating their newest pipeline, and I'm, I'm questioning the veracity of those claims, I'm rewarded by being visited with by three detectives outside my home, fully accessorized with bulletproof vests, badges and guns in plain sight. This is just another example of police abuse sponsored by the very wealthy and powerful. So how did this start? First, I'm gonna go to the infamous email. This came about a week ago and I'm just gonna read it to you directly. Spire, quote, important update about your natural gas service. Dear valued customer. Now, what a joke. Dear valued customers are privileged to provide you with affordable and reliable natural gas every day. In fact, the STL pipeline was built to support your energy needs along with those of more than 650,000 homes and businesses in the St. Louis region. Since Since 2019, this safe, fully operational pipeline has been bringing even more reliable and affordable natural gas to our community. Unfortunately, while the STL pipeline continues to operate today, it is now in jeopardy. As a result, we want to keep you informed and prepared for potential natural gas disruptions and outages this winter if the pipeline is not kept in service. Here's some background. You may have heard about the pipeline in the news. In short, the government agency that regulates interstate pipelines approved the construction and operation of the Spire STL pipeline after a two-year rigorous regulatory review. However, in January 2020, a New York-based environmentalist group – okay, that phrase right there, I'm going to interrupt. New York-based environmentalist group is Midwestern dog-whistle bigot code for some damn libtards. Okay, interfering. Let me go back to the email. So, however, in January 2020, a New York-based environmentalist group challenged the government agency's approval process, and in June 2021, the court ruled in the group's favor. This ruling essentially took back the pipeline's approval to operate. Where things stand today. The STL STL pipeline is fully operational today, with temporary federal approval to operate through December 13th, but that only takes us halfway through Missouri's coldest months. FIRE has been working to keep the pipeline in service this winter as government regulators consider its long-term use. In fact, this week, our CEO and Chief Legal Counsel traveled to Washington, D.C. to talk with as many lawmakers as possible to help them understand the potential impact to the St. Louis community. We're confident that we've done everything we can to demonstrate the critical role the pipeline plays in providing the St. Louis community with energy, but, and this is in bold print, There are no guarantees it will operate beyond December 13th. What we're doing to prepare. While we're hopeful the government will extend the approval for the pipeline to operate for the full winter heating season, we want to be prepared. we created an emergency plan to reduce the potential impact for residential customers and businesses that provide critical services. Now I'm going to interrupt here. SPIRE has not shared that plan with the general public at all. (coughs) All right, folks, so back to the email. At, quote, and we've been co- and we've been coordinating with local authorities and emergency management professionals so the St. Louis community is prepared. Our goal is always is to keep you safe and warm. As the most reliable energy source to heat homes, cook meals, and fuel industry, natural gas outages are extremely rare. And they cite uh, an alleged study from the Gas Technology Institute. Okay. Quote, however, a St. Louis winter without the SPL pipeline in service is a different situation. So along the way, we'll keep you informed, help you prepare for potential outages or service disruptions, and advocate for the continued operation of the pipeline because we know it's the right thing to do for our customers and our community. What you can do. Okay. So I'm going to interrupt again. There, I don't know how anybody can prepare for potential outages just prepare to freeze to death, what? Because here in St. Louis, especially after December, we can get subarctic temperatures that are at zero or below zero. So let's go on. This last paragraph is really galling. Quote, what you can do. Without the STL pipeline in place, you may be asked to conserve energy by turning down the thermostat in your home or business and reducing use of your natural gas appliances, fireplace, oven, or another appliance. While we understand this is an ideal during the winter months, we also know it will help us maintain service to the St. Louis community. Stay in touch and informed. We encourage you to stay informed about the evolving situation by visiting, and I give you a link. Thank you for working with us. This last part is very evolving. Stay safe. Scott Carter, President Spire, Missouri. Now, that's the email. Notice they mentioned Spire CEO, but they don't name her. Scott Carter apparently is taking the heat for this. But the CEO is a woman named Suzanne Sitherwood. She was brought in from Georgia. Um, She worked for another natural gas company. And, you know, once again, there's more to the story than what you've been led to believe. So let's move on. I'm going to read you my email, or at least part of my email, to Jason Merrill, who's the Spire public affairs director. And I found this out because I just called Spire Media. Uh, this is all public information. You can just go to Google, type it in, boom, there it is. Nothing major. And I got a woman who claimed to be the public uh what was it, the public affairs manager. Apparently there's a difference. I really don't know what it is. And she gave me Jason Merrill's email. That's all. No mystery. So I sent this to him, um, let's see now. I'm trying to see what day it was. I don't see it. All right. Well, anyway, I'm going to read the email. Oh, my. Excuse me, folks. It says, Sorry for the pauses. My throat is giving me fits today. Good morning. My name is Janine Moloff, and I'm an independent journalist who publishes with BuzzFlash. Formerly, I published with numerous other groups, including Huffington Post, UK Progressive, Eurasian Review, and others. I have multiple questions regarding the possible gas outages which were revealed yesterday in an email to Spire customers in St. Louis, St. Charles, and elsewhere. Uh, I'm going to interrupt. This is really going to affect St. Louis, most hard hit. I'll go on. I have begun an in-depth investigation into Spire's commercial practices, including any majority stockholders, as well as Spire's interest in tar sands Transport. Okay, again, this is all public information. There's nothing wrong about any of this, nothing subversive. I am casting a very wide net as I suspect this story is far more intricate than previously reported. Again, you have to realize, anywhere, by Spire's own estimates, and I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting again, I'm not reading from the email right at this moment. By Spire's own estimates, anywhere from 400,000 to all 600,000 homes, could find themselves without heat. That's it. Okay? And, by the way, the only emergency plan I know of is that Spire has publicly told told the, that Spire has told the public that they have a 10-day emergency supply. That's it. So, back to my email. Most importantly, Spire has a responsibility to provide heating gas during the winter. To fail in this mission will lead to thousands of premature deaths. FIRE has failed to provide any alternative heating fuel delivery system in the event the STL pipeline was halted. There is no excuse for this premeditated malfeasance. For decades, McCleague Gas, which was before was it was able to deliver heating fuel when the state was more heavily populated, yet Spire has no plan for delivery. Sending an email weeks before the gas is sent, sent, set to run out is criminally malfeasance. I have some questions right off the bat. One, what was FIRES plan for all... Al- what was Spire's plan for alternative plan? Let me start again. What was Spire's what was Fires plan for alternative delivery of heating fuel should the STL pipeline halt transport? Was there a plan? Who crafted this plan? Why wasn't the public alerted months ago? Number two, should Spire forfeit and refund all taxpayer subsidies it receives as a fossil fuel provider? should inspire be forced to provide electric heat pumps to every household that suffers due to their malfeasance behavior. And I'm going to deviate from the email again. What a lot of the public doesn't know, is, and we've talked about it on the show before, every fossil fuel producer, taxpayer subsidies. They just do. And it's been going on for 90 years, folks. All right, number three. Oh, that's my place here. Hold on. Yeah, number three. How much of this pipeline deal is being funded by venture capitalists who also happen to be Spire-majority stockholders? And part of that hint-hint, and I'm deviating from the email again, one of their big stockholders is BlackRock. Back to the email. Number four, Spire failed to alert the public to the situation months ago. Instead, they waited to the last minute. How is this not premeditated fraud or even extortion? Okay, those are my questions. I have more questions, but this should suffice for now. I have also contacted my U.S. Congressman Corey Bush. Um, I put the NRDC, that was my mistake, <clears throat> it's actually the EDF, it is not to blame for this situation. Spire had a responsibility as a semi-regulated monopoly to provide an alternative service plan should the STL pipeline deal fail in court. The lack of such a plan indicates premeditation. I will be conducting this investigation as an ongoing expose. If you decide to ignore this communication, that choice will be reflected in my report. Again, thousands could die because of spires neglect. Someone should face not only civil suits, but also criminal charges. I will most likely publish the first chapter of this expose before Thanksgiving. Janine Mollup, independent journalist, yada, yada, yada. I'll note that there has been no response from Jason Merrill to date. Okay. Again, all the information that I've obtained has been easily accessed public information. Nothing nothing crazy. Okay. Alright, so now we have a report from the local NBC affiliate, KSD. And this right November 3rd, and the head, it was by holding uh Kerwicki. And the headline is, Fire STL Pipeline gets widespread support for concerns over shutdown's potential impact. Politicians of both parties are supporting the pipeline's continued operation as concerns about residential heating and business production erase. Um, we all should be concerned. Nobody's arguing that point. Not at all. Um, Excuse me, more water. The problem, the problem is simply that Nobody's questioning why we're in this position in the first place. Nobody's questioning why Spire Execs and their board of directors made the decision to isolate St. Louis in particular and make them dependent on one pipeline. Even if you were pipeline happy, you thought this was you thought the STL pipeline was the best thing since sliced bread and the internet, no responsible planner would relegate a community to only one pipeline they would have an alternative plan reasonable planning nothing else well, let's go on now they start out with the public utilities commission of Missouri and they sent a letter to federal regulators asking fire to grant an immediate extension to operate the STL pipeline that's fine again Nobody, the EDF is not challenging any sort of extension. They don't want the St. Louis area to go without heat, and that's per their own written documents that they filed in federal court. But they don't think Spire should profit from it, and they want to hold Spire accountable. Nobody's, None of these political leaders, including on the Public Service Commission, are questioning Why Spire did this to us? Why they were so at the very least irresponsible in their lack of planning. So this starts out first with this man named Ray McCarthy who saw, um, he was in Texas apparently, and um, no, okay, knockout power, he saw firsthand how the power being knocked out in Texas affected businesses in Missouri okay, and they quoted Mr. McCarty, who's the president of Associated Industries of Missouri, saying, quote, we had plants in southern Missouri that were shut down because they couldn't get enough gas to the plants. So they spent a lot of time with this Mr. McCarty, who, as far as I know, isn't a geologist. He isn't a lawyer. He, I don't know, they're just using him, I guess. Uh, he's obviously Inspire's Spire's Corner, um, now, the STL pipeline staying in operation, it says it's from bipartisan support from, you know, Senator Roy Blunt, a Republican, and Mayor Tashara Jones, a Democrat. Again, nobody's disagreeing with this. It's just that nobody's questioning why Spire put us in this position in the first place. That's the problem. So to quote Mayor Tashara Jones, quote, the fire STL pipeline project provides important access to to abundant, affordable, and reliable supplies of clean natural gas produced from diverse domestic sources. I am concerned with the detrimental effects an immediate shutdown of the STL pipeline would have on communities in and around St. Louis during the winter months. We saw the importance of having diverse natural gas supply in February 2021 during winter storm Uri, which caused severe natural gas supply disruptions, unprecedented spikes in the cost of natural gas, and widespread service outages across the country. The outages during winter storm Erie resulted in a tragic loss of human life and nearly $200 billion in damages, making it one of the deadliest and costliest natural disasters in United States history. I don't know much about that. What I do know is this, when they mentioned the Texas power outages, those of you listening, there was a good explanation for that. Do you know why? Texas suffered so many power outages because a privatized system, the companies in charge failed to do the most basic of routine maintenance. That's it. It was pure negligence, criminal negligence, nothing else that caused the outages in Texas. Okay, so let's move on again. Anheuser-Busch wants this. Big business. They were sold to a company called Inves. So in a letter to FERC, Anheuser-Busch Senior General Manager Jim Bicklein said, quote, St. Louis is home to our oldest and largest brewery and relies on natural gas for brewing. And he goes on and on and on. It is big business. I don't know why KSD is quoting a brewery exec. They should have been talking to people on the street. They should have been questioning why SPIRE Spire made us reliant on this one pipeline because that's the question. That's what has to be dealt with. Okay, so there was... KSD did give a response from the Environmental Defense Fund that everybody's blaming, and it came from Natalie Karras, Who's the senior director and lead counsel for EDF. To quote Ms. Karras, quote, no one has suggested the SPIRE pipeline should be shut down immediately. SPIRE currently holds a temporary certificate to operate its pipeline, and FERC is poised to issue another temporary certificate to keep the pipeline operations through the winter to ensure reliable service to St. Louis customers. A short-term extension is a reasonable short-term solution while FERC conducts a fact-based process under the law to determine the future of the pipeline. We hope that the government regulators will come to their senses and grant a temporary certificate. Well, that was McCarthy on in the, car, you got the last part. Caras um, from EDF said a short-term extension is a reasonable short-term solution while FERC conducts a fact-based process under the law to determine the future of the pipeline. So that's their lead counsel saying they don't want the gas turned off from the pipeline. So what's really going on? Well, as I talked about on the other show, what EDF actually claimed and filed in federal court. This is a piece here written again by their lead counsel Natalie Harris. Um, it was published actually October 11th. And the headline is FERP, that's Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, not the Supreme Court, is the right place to fix the Spire pipeline mess. So basically after the D.C. court vacated Spire STL's unlawful certificate to operate this, sometimes they say it's 65 miles, 66 miles, you get the drift, natural gas pipeline, it, it runs between Illinois and Missouri in June. Okay? The D.C. court vacated the unlawful certificate. Then in October, uh, Spire asked the U.S. Supreme Court to stay that decision. And, you know, they were waiting on that. We now know that the Supreme Court just just refused to hear it. Um, and Karen is saying not only should the Supreme Court not grant to stay, well, they didn't because they didn't even listen to it, um, it should not even take up the case. And that's what happened. The SCOTUS refused to take up the case altogether. The EDF council saying why? Because the SPIRE mess started at FERC, at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Now, this is a federal agency that's supposed to handle pipeline approvals. And they need to proceed based on the law, okay, as properly administered by the commission. I'm reading from her straight from her article, to address the complex facts that warrant a fact-finding review of an expert agency. While FERC's initial orders authorizing the pipeline were deficient, he had the capability and tools to conduct a fulsome analysis. And now is an opportunity to course correct? So he goes on to explain how, <coughs> you know, how the EDF filed the suit in the D.C. court last year. Because they have serious concerns that the pipeline, the FTL pipeline certificate was granted quote without the legally required justification that the pipeline was needed and beneficial to the public. And that phrase is important because that's according to the natural uh, gas law. So she goes on to say, and I'm just reading from her article since the DC Court since the DC Circuit ruling. FERC has been diligently addressing the urgent question of whether the pipeline is needed for the upcoming winter season. FERC also needs to determine the long-term fate of the pipeline, and it can't move forward until the case is out of the courts. Okay, intervention by the Supreme Court now, while FERC has already examined these questions, would undercut one of the agency's core responsibilities. Um, She goes on to say the simple fact is there is no need or justification for the relief that SPIRE seeks. FERC has already approved the pipeline to operate through December, and get this, and is poised to extend an authorization to operate through the winter season. Nor is anyone suggesting anything to the contrary should occur. Spire's blatant, fear-driven public relations campaign hides the real issue that needs to be resolved. How did we get here, and how can we ensure this never happens again? So, we know now, We now know that the Supreme Court just refuse to hear it all together. So it's back in FERC's court. Well this whole thing starts with um, the law that FERC has to operate under as they review gas pipelines and their permits and that's the Natural Gas Act. This is a federal law, it has nothing to do with the EDS, it's just federal law. So, It's supposed to have a rigorous review process, and that's because these pipelines, they they can be extremely expensive, and they're huge infrastructure projects, and they operate for decades, and they do impact local communities and the environment. So FERC requires pipeline developers to prove in their application that two things. One, that there is market need for the project, and two, that the project's public benefits outweigh any adverse effects. And when you think about it, that's a pretty reasonable standard. They go on to explain that companies usually demonstrate market need based on a private system of contracting. And she goes on to say two parties at arm's length for pipeline capacity to ensure a project is right-sized to address legitimate identified needs, okay? So, but then, EDF Council explains further. This framework, which again up till now sounds reasonable, it disintegrates, it falls apart when a couple things could happen. When the two negotiating parties are either one, affiliated, meaning that they're they're owned by the same entity, basically, or two, they can saddle captive ratepayers with cost, and three, and this is a kicker, are negotiating with themselves. So this is what this is what EDF's complaining about. This framework that FERC is required to, um, to operate under. Under federal law, under the natural gas law. I'm sorry, the Natural Gas Act, excuse me. That framework, the rules they operate under for licensure. It doesn't work if you have the fo- one of the following conditions, when the two negotiating parties are either affiliated, meaning that maybe through a couple different shell corporations but they're affiliated, in other words, they're owned by the same entity, or two, that they can saddle and bilk ratepayers with costs because it's a monopoly, we have nowhere else to go, or three, and this is the worst part, they're negotiating with themselves, as I said before. This is, that last part part is like saying, hello, Fox, neat house, bon appétit. Don't get indigestion. So, FERC's approach. Um, excuse me, folks, I lost my place here. I need new glasses. Anyway, FERC's approach, they look at the existence of the contract. Okay, that's part of it, but they do more. They do an analysis of the counterparties. They analyzed the terms. They analyzed the surrounding market conditions. And all the things that were supposed to happen just fell short. And uh, EDF saying not just with the SPIRE pipeline, but in general. So this is kind of an indictment of what was going on, especially during the Trump administration with FERC. So, and they are, basically EDF is blowing the whistle on this affiliate-backed model, which is basically companies negotiating with themselves, so that there, there's no honesty in negotiations, in other words. Okay? Um, and they noted pennies and the Atlantic Coast Pipeline that had been canceled. Um, EDFs argued for years that this model just isn't transparent enough, isn't really accountable. And in June, the D.C. Circuit Court agreed. Okay? So... FERC really wants—I'm sorry—EDF wants a more rigorous rigorous approach, and EDF did put forth some recommendations, and they are the following: one, reading straight from her piece again, FERC could better assess FERC could better assess whether existing infrastructure could be used more efficiently; two, FERC could conduct a more rigorous balancing of benefits and adverse effects; three. FERC could require more information from the pipeline company to justify market need. And four, FERC could give more weight to the concerns of impacted landowners and communities in the vicinity of the pipeline. And they're saying FERC's not the only agency in need of serious reform, but they are in need of serious reform. The EDF also said that state public utility commissions also need to be held accountable to protect against what EDF. um, identified as self-dealing. You know, let's face it, our public service commissions are a big joke, and they're a joke because they are controlled by executives in the same industries and the same companies that they're supposed to regulate. That's ridiculous. So to read from this um, article by EDF's council once again, quote, there are currently no rules governing the interactions between a newly formed pipeline developer like Spire and its affiliate gas utility during the process when a developer advertises the project and engages in the contract negotiation. Further quote is a quote, one negative consequence is that major infrastructure projects can be proposed and designed primarily for the benefit of the corporate family shareholders, not the families and businesses a utility is supposed to serve. Quote further, quote, EDF has created a framework that would address this problem head on. Once a gas utility demonstrates need for new capacity, it should issue a request for proposals that invites a full suite of potential solutions that could either provide natural gas supply or reduce demand. They go on to say, quote, a competitive process like this would not only protect against affiliate abuse by two arms of the same company, but also make room for solutions tailored to meet the actual energy need while minimizing costs, greenhouse gas emissions, and adverse impacts on communities. Then the retail utility would have several options, and its selection process would be transparent to regulators and stakeholders, end quote. quote. So what about SPIRE? In this article by, again, EDS lead counsel, they're saying, well, what should we do about the SPIRE pipeline, the STL pipeline right now? So, quote, contrary to company claims, EDF has never suggested that service to St. Louis customers should be compromised in any way, but allowing the pipeline to continue to operate without any change in conditions would, in effect, ignore the D.C. Court's June, DC circuit's June ruling. In the past, where FERC has identified self-dealing concerns, it has rejected the agreement or rates outright. Here we offer a reasonable middle ground. Quote, Spire can continue to operate its pipeline through the winter. I'm going to read that again. Again, this is straight from the EDF's legal counsel. I'm reading directly from her article. Quote, one, Spire can continue to operate its pipeline through the winter. Subject to tailored conditions that address, among other issues, the self-dealing concerns right raised by the D.C. Circuit. One important condition proposed by EDF to protect the public interest would alter the rate design by which Spire STL, the pipeline, charges its customer, Spire Missouri, the utility, and ultimately its customers for service. Okay, So Spire was telling lies of omission because the EDF never suggested to cut off gas to the St. Louis community since we are isolated. We only have this one pipeline. All the other pipelines were shut down. So the kicker that SPIRE would have us ignore is how SPIRE, according to EDF, planned on price gouging us. To get back to the EDF article, quote, today rates are designed with the assumption that your service will be needed every hour of every day for 20 years. Our proposal would tie rates to actual usage of the SPIRE pipeline to incentivize decreased reliance and to protect ratepayers from the cost of this legally infirm project. We've also asked FERC to analyze the available unused capacity on a neighboring unaffiliated pipeline. As the emails between SPIRE and MRT show, Fire Missouri inquired about this capacity after the DC court decision, the DC circuit decision, but chose not to pursue it, end quote, okay? So the difference between an affiliated pipeline and an unaffiliated pipeline is ownership, okay? EDS asking why can't we analyze the unused capacity of another pipeline that's nearby, but it's not owned by Spire. Okay? EDF's looking out for us, not Spire. So, let's move on. So this was written by Natalie Karras. You can look it up yourself, Senior Director and Lead Counsel, Energy Markets and Utility Regulation for the Environmental Defense Fund. Um, She has, before she joined EDF in 2016, she worked at a firm called Duncan, Weinberg, Genzer, and Pembroke, and her major practice was, was appearing before the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That's it. So as you see, Spire was telling a lie of omission. The EDF did not want to cut us off we're in this mess because of SPIRE, not because of the EDF. So, and it goes on. There was an earlier article, again written by Ms. Karras, in October. And she points out that, the, quote, because SPIRE modified its system to incorporate the SPIRE STL pipeline over the last several years, Despite EDF's pending challenge to the first certificate orders, Spire Missouri is dependent on the pipeline in the near term to provide gas to its customers. So the question here is, did Spire make any contingency plans in the 90 days from the time um, they lost in court to you know, heading into December? Did they make any contingency plans? And if they did, why hasn't the public been told about it? Fires claims they've met with emergency planners and politicians of both parties, but they haven't shared the information with the general public. Okay? Or did fire execs just sit on their hands? We don't know. Oh, boy. So... All this, by the way, you can find by just, all I did was I went to Google, I typed in EDF SPIRE, boom, right there. Then I clicked on the actual filing before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That's it, it took me under five minutes. So here's what EDF's talking about in terms of SPIRE, modifying the pipeline service. This is from the actual court filing in federal court. And this is on page three, and I'm going to read exactly from it because I don't want any police detectives to misinterpret my intent. I'm joking, but you'll understand later towards the end of the program. So from page three of the filing before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, quote, the SPIRE affiliates' application alleges that if the SPIRE STL pipeline were required to shut down as a result of the D.C. Circuit's mandate Spire, Missouri, a local distribution company serving the St. Louis area, would be required. Okay, let me read that again, okay? Legalese is hard to read from. That, That just sounded bad. So let me do this again. Quote, the Spire affiliates application alleges that if the Spire STL pipeline were required to shut down as a result of the D.C. Circuit's mandate. Spire, Missouri, a local distribution company serving the St. Louis area, would be required to curtail natural gas service during the upcoming winter heating season. Um, Spire, STL, and Spire, Missouri, collectively the Spire affiliates, are affiliated under common ownership, and the application while while filed by Spire, STL contains... substantial operational details regarding Spire, Missouri, and includes an affidavit by the president of Spire, Missouri, Scott Carter. And they reference the Carter affidavit. Going on. Quote, um, that's my place again. Sorry, folks. Uh, oh, there it is. All right. Um, oh, there it is. Sorry. Quote, to the extent an emergency exists, it of let me start again. Quote, to the extent an emergency exists, It is of the Spire affiliate's own making. When the Spire STL pipeline came online, Spire's Missouri distribution system became isolated in part from other sources of gas supply, and Spire Missouri retired assets that supported reliable service during peak usage. I'm going to read that part again. Reading from a legal document is kind of a pain, people. Lawyers don't write like They write in legalese. Let me go again. So, quote, to the extent an emergency exists, it is of the Spire affiliate's own making. When the Spire STL pipeline came online, Spire Missouri's distribution system became isolated in part from other sources of gas supply, and Spire Missouri retired assets that supported reliable service during peak usage. This is contrary to reasonable utility practice to preserve direct interconnections with existing pipelines in order to ensure continued access to more supply options. In fact, the Commission's Certificate Policy Statement explicitly mentions new interconnections as a potential public benefit. The SPIRE affiliates claimed the SPIRE STL pipeline was providing more diverse options to the region. But in fact, its actions have rendered the St. Louis region dependent in the immediate term predominantly on a single pipeline that has been deemed unlawful in court. As EDF explains herein, the SPIRE affiliates cannot be permitted to reap financial benefits as a result of any temporary emergency authorization, end quote. Okay, folks, so here's what it is. This was filed in federal court. I don't think a public, non-for-profit attorney would risk their license by filing false claims in court. Based on this filing, before the STL pipeline went into operation, there were multiple pipelines that brought natural gas into the St. Louis region especially, quite a few of them actually. And Inspire made the decision to retire, if you will. In other words, um, to just set aside and take out of use to, de- I don't know if it was decommission, they took all of them offline, if you will, so that the only pipeline that services the St. Louis region is the new STL pipeline. And that is, in, a, in a, basically, this is considered bad planning. The FERC commission themselves says you should have new interconnections. And why? Because, again, if something goes wrong with one pipeline, you have others that can fill in the gap. Now, as it stands, if if there's a natural weather emergency, whatever, and something goes wrong with the pipeline, we're screwed. That's it. EDF had nothing to do with this. This was Spire's decision. And in large part, because they want to use only the pipelines, it seems, that they own. But this is what it is. We are dependent, for the most part, on this one pipeline. And we've been cut off from all the others that used to bring natural gas into the St. Louis region. That decision was made by Spire, period. So, I looked at, you know, some information about retiring a pipeline, because I don't know much about it, frankly and i found some information from canada okay and this was a, a website called about okay and there's different ways of taking a pipeline out of commission so i'm not sure and the reason i looked this up is because if they retired all these other pipelines i don't know if they took them permanently out of use i don't know if they capped them took, removed them entirely these underground pipes i don't know But we need to find out. Okay, pipeline retirement. Sometimes they can just be deactivated temporarily. Sometimes they're decommissioned or they're retired. Um, But if a pipeline's removed from service, uh, let's see now. Let me, I got lost here again. Okay, so if a pipeline's decommissioned, it will be cleaned, capped and maintained. So I'm not a geologist, I'm assuming that it could be uncapped and put back into commission. Here's the kicker though. If a pipeline is permanently retired, the regulator will assess whether it's best to leave the line in place or remove the pipeline from the ground. So the question to be asked of SPIRE is, are those other pipelines that used to bring plenty of natural gas into the St. Louis region, those interconnecting pipelines, Are they still there and just retired and left and just cast, or were they actually removed? These are legitimate questions. There's nothing wrong or illegal about anything I'm saying. And again, it's all public information. It didn't take long to find this stuff either. So basically, here's the deal. Spire decided that they wanted the St. Louis area to be serviced by this one pipeline, period. It ties in also with the way they bill. They want to be able to bill for every minute of every day for 20 years. So if you, I guess that means, and I'm not sure, I guess that means if you turn down your thermostat or even turn your furnace off on a nice day like we had a couple days ago, you'd still be billed. I know that happened to me last year. And I called and I asked. This was last year. I had cut my thermostat down, all right, trying to conserve. And whatever room I was in, I just put on an electric space heater to supplement. My bill was still sky high. And I'd done this the whole month. And they said, well, yeah, but that's just the way it is. And I said, but why? And they said, well, because even if you turn your furnace off, you're still – connected to the natural gas. And I said, but I didn't use it to that level. It didn't matter. So then now we're talking about are these billing practices legal? Again, I don't know. So Spire took these other pipelines that were interconnecting pipelines and retired them. I don't, the question now to be asked, as I said before, were they just capped and cleaned, or were they actually removed from underground? We have a right to know. Because we can't, it, it is the height of stupidity to rely on one pipeline. If something goes wrong, something malfunctions, then we don't have a plan B. The Public Service Commission in Missouri should have never permitted this. FERC shouldn't have, and FERC isn't actually now. But Spire's response was to blame the New York environmentalists. The New York environmentalists weren't the ones that decided to retire all the other pipelines. If those pipelines hadn't been retired, if they were still at least minimally operational, we wouldn't be in this position. We could still access natural gas. So this is, uh, uh, you know, was this a, Slimy legal strategy to win their course to win their case by cheating, because now yeah we probably will face outages. But again, the Environmental Defense Fund is fine with the FERC Commission extending the permit to run the STL pipeline through the entire winter. So what's Fire's problem? I ran a show similar to this last Sunday. Okay, I first reported this story with slightly different information. Again, as I said before, on Progressive News Network uh, this past Sunday, November 7th. And then Monday, you know, I made a follow-up phone call to Spire, leaving a message with a public, I thought with a public affairs manager um, for Jason Merrill, the public affairs director, and the person listed this fire spokesman in the mainstream media. And I just wanted to ask, would he respond to the questions I emailed earlier when the story first broke? Okay, keep in mind, I obtained his email address from this same public affairs manager. She was happy to give it to me. No problem. That's it. not illegal to ask questions or make phone calls. Later that same day, I was driving home. I was taking my dog for a little car ride. And I was greeted, I was driving home and I was greeted by three detectives from the intelligence division of the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. They were wearing armored vests and standing, you know, like that D.C. character, guns and badges and prominent display. They waited outside my home and I saw them as I drove up my driveway. They wanted to talk to me. They approached me and they formed a semicircle at the end of the driveway. It's reasonable to say I felt trapped on my own property. One detective said, quote, you made a phone call, silence. He went on, he said, to spire. pause, silence. This is him talking. He then said, quote, we want to understand your intent. More silence. He then went on to say there was a complaint. Again, more silence. Finally I said, I asked who filed the complaint. He said Spire. Now, this was clear a clear intimidation tactic. The police, again, I'm saying what the police said, not what I said. The police said that Spire made a complaint about me. They wouldn't say who from Spire was responsible for this false police complaint. This happened the day after my first story about the Spire STL situation ran on my show. The timing is a little too coincidental. Now, in all fairness, the detectives were polite and calm, very polite, as they politely violated my First Amendment rights. Keep in mind, what I just read to you is what the police said, not what I said. Now, as I investigated further, I found some additional coincidences, though I haven't found any conclusions. Okay, again, public information. Lord knows I'm not good with a computer. Just so happens the director of corporate security and crisis management for Spire is a gentleman named Al Moore. He came on board in October of 2012 as per his public LinkedIn profile. Before his corporate placement, Mr. Moore, guess what, was a lieutenant in the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. And, you know, that was 2012. Well, this is 21. I get it. And I'm not accusing Mr. Moore of any improprieties. Not at all. But my concern lies in the growing trend of former police officers becoming corporate security heads because, and I'm not saying Mr. Moore does this, but they often maintain their former contacts in the police, and the possibility of corruption, like calling in a favor, exists. Again, I reiterate, I am not accusing Mr. Moore of anything. As far as I know, he is an honorable gentleman. don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. But this coincidence is not a good visual. So, this story has generated more questions than answers. So, going back to my questions. These are questions I'm sending the audience. Were the detectives polite? Yes. Were my First Amendment rights possibly violated by these polite detectives? I think so. Was this an intimidation tactic to shut up a journalist asking tough questions? Was I targeted by Spire? Was this an instance of corporate capture involving the police force? Why isn't anyone investigating Spire's negligent management of this pipeline retirement situation? Okay, I'm going to read that one again. Why isn't anyone investigating Spire's negligent management regarding this pipeline retirement situation that leaves us dependent on this one pipeline instead of harassing independent journalists like me? Why is INSPIRE, their top execs and their board of directors, why have they been allowed to seemingly avoid any serious investigation regarding this negligent planning as it pertains to the retirement of those interconnected pipelines, every other pipeline that fed into St. Louis in this situation? Why? Who is protecting Spire? Is anyone protecting INSPIRE? I don't know. And finally, here in St. Louis, I'll say again, are we the victims of corporate capture? And what is corporate capture? Well, this gets a little deeper. The Center for Constitutional Rights describes it. Corporate capture is basically occurs when private industry uses their political influence. And I'm reading straight from the um, excuse me. I'm reading straight from the website, Center for Constitutional Rights. Quote, corporate capture is a phenomenon where private industry uses its political influence to take control of the decision-making apparatus of the state, such as regulatory agencies, law enforcement entities, and legislatures. When corporations draft legislation privately with lawmakers that they have significant influence over, this results in laws and policies that benefit corporations while often harming the environment, low-income people, and communities of color. Okay. They go on to say, quote, The Center for Constitutional Rights has a long legacy of defending progressive political movements from attacks their opponents' wage using law. Corporate entities like the American Legislative Exchange Council have used political influence to pass a series of laws that result in attacks against their allies. ALEC is an incubator and platform for spreading policies that support the political agenda of its corporate and conservative members. ALEC has become one of the most powerful and lesser known platforms of its kind in U.S. politics today. In recent years, the Center for Constitutional Rights has defended several movements facing repressive laws that are affiliated with ALEC, such as animal rights activists targeted by ag-gag laws, water protectors that resist oil and gas infrastructure development targeted by critical infrastructure laws, and Palestinian rights activists targeted by anti-boycott, divestment, and sanction laws. ALEC has played a significant role in developing and promoting all these state laws with its members, end quote. Now, it's also no small coincidence that many of these new ALEC-sponsored laws, especially dealing with critical infrastructure, you know, like pipelines of water, things like that, um, these new laws demand felony charges for what were normally viewed previously as minor misdemeanors. It also is absolutely no small uh, coincidence that in the past few weeks, I have also published two stories about Alex's behind the scenes activities in BuzzFlash and in op-ed news. So, again, I'm not making any accusations, but there's too many coincidences here. Okay? So let's kind of go draw this in conclusion here because my throat is bothering me. Hate asthma. So in conclusion, I'm not suggesting that my little episode um, with the three St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department detectives from the Intelligence Unit, no less, um, which by the way, isn't on the, okay, let me start again. I lost my place here. I'm not suggesting that my little episode with three St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department detectives, again, from the intelligence unit, um, was somehow a diabolical plan. Um, But I am questioning the entire Spire drama. This still looks like harassment. And, And by the way, the intelligence unit on their St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department's website, it's not listed. And the only reason I know they were from the intelligence unit is one of them gave me his card. So is this SPIRE STL pipeline drama an instance of corporate capture? Keep in mind, Missouri is a state with a governor, Mike Parson, who is an ALEC member and a presenter, and also a state legislator, Justin Hill who is the secretary of ALEC. Missouri's past recent law to come straight from the ALEC recipe book. This police harassment of me, a journalist, was mild compared to many. But that's not the point. It was still a violation of my First Amendment rights based on a false complaint. I actually don't know what the complaint was. They wouldn't tell me coming from a major stock exchange corporation. There's more questions. So why aren't the authorities, such as the Attorney General, investigating SPIRE? Why aren't they demanding accountability for the situation we've been placed in? SPIRE's guilty of gross negligence, at the very least regarding any emergency contingency plan, should the STL pipeline experience any problems, like from a severe weather event, or just wear and tear, or some sort of malfunction. You know, might not be up to industry standards. We'll never know because FIRE refuses to open its records to the public beyond carefully crafted public relations drivel that simultaneously slurs the Environmental Defense Fund using dog whistle bigot code, calling EDF a New York-based environmental group which has said before, that is Midwestern bigot code for city slicker socialist. To make matters worse, The mainstream media here has failed to address these questions, much less do their due diligence. They didn't even bother to look up the federal court filing and read it. The facts are there. Spire decided, Spire made the decision to retire every pipeline that led to St. Louis. I'll say that again. Spire made the decision to retire every interconnecting pipeline that fed gas into St. Louis, except the newest single STL pipeline. There is no plan B. Now Spire is scapegoating the Environmental Defense Fund, wrongfully claiming that EDF is the cause of the outages we will experience possibly as early as December 13th. Keep in mind, there wouldn't be a problem if Spire had just kept the other pipelines open, even minimally. Instead, Spire isolated St. Louis to this one single pipeline, and there was premeditation. So was this a slimy legal strategy to win in court by cheating? I don't know. What I do know, according to the federal court filing by the Environmental Defense Fund, is that Spire placed St. Louis in jeopardy. As a partially regulated monopoly, Spire has a legal obligation to ensure safe delivery of heating gas, period reducing pipeline capacity to one single pipeline and retiring all the others is not responsible planning by any stretch of the imagination. As a result of this premeditated retiring and closing down of all the other pipelines that previously serviced St. Louis, outages could and most likely will occur unless of course the FERC commission gives us an extension which they probably will. Keep in mind, by Spire's own admission, anywhere between 400 to 600,000 households could be without heat. So is Spire merely, merely guilty of mind-blogging incompetence, or was this a plan to force the issue? Is Spire playing litigious chicken with the community, ready, willing, and able to allow a heating field cutoff heading into winter in an area that can dip into subarctic temperatures? Isn't this criminal malfeasance on the part of Spire? If such outages occur, it will make what happened in Texas last year look like a date at the spa. Such outages will result in possibly thousands of deaths, all caused at a minimum due to Spire's now implemented plan, which again, shut down every single interconnecting pipeline feeding into St. Louis, except the single STL pipeline in question. Why aren't Spire executives and the board of directors being interrogated regarding their premeditated malfeasance, which will result in outages and possibly thousands of deaths? Any deaths re- result from these gas outages, which again Spire caused with a premeditated plan, should bring criminal charges of negligent homicide. Homicide. I'm sorry. Let me start again. Any. Ugh, I'm having problems tonight. Any deaths which result from gas outages, which again, SPIRE caused, with this premeditated plan, should bring criminal charges of negligent homicide to SPIRE execs and the board of directors. This is their fault. Why isn't SPIRE being criminally investigated by Merrick Garland and the DOJ for fraud and violations of the FERC commission? And finally, my last question. Why am I, an independent journalist, being questioned regarding my intent for making a phone call. That's our big story tonight. Now, on a more mocking tone, we have our new feature, the Jackass Report. Mm, my throat is really bugging me tonight. The Jackass Report, I borrowed this this idea of jackassery from Dr. Rashad Ritchie when he does his Karen report, and he talks about Karenicity. So this is the Jackass report. We're talking about the Jackass of the Week, those who are most representative of true jackassery. And I'd say this week the honor is split between neo-Nazi U.S. Congressman Paul Gosar, who, again, wasn't just unprofessional, but he really did issue through this anime a true threat against another member of Congress, and still nothing's happened to him. And our own home U.S. Senator, Josh Hawley. Hawley's been AWOL. Now, Roy Blunt is at least trying to do a little something about the spire situation. Hawley doesn't care. He hasn't been involved at all. In fact, what Hawley was concerned about was white Christian males sitting at home watching pornography and blaming it on feminism. Blaming it on progressives. I could go into it more, but I think that Josh Hawley's jackassery speaks for itself. So that's tonight's environmental justice report with me, Janine Mulla. Um Sorry for all the pauses. Again, my throat is giving me fits tonight, and I've been talking for a while, so kind of bear with me. Um, If you want to read more about the ongoing expose that I am working on about this entire situation, um, I will let you know because it will be done journalistically and most likely published on BuzzFlash. And again, I wouldn't want the detectives to get the wrong idea. Good Lord. So anyway, that's our report for tonight. And with that, I say good night. Oh god bless us